week at Camp Wild. Who was here? Who saw it? Camp Wild, an incredible time. Maybe you've heard stories and seen pictures online. It was so refreshing. This place was filled with kids and also people serving the kids. It was filled with praise for God, close relationships. It was an amazing week. I, I want to tell you uh, God's presence. It was so refreshing. After you know so long, kids have not been able to have a camp week like that. We thank God. We give him all the glory. Can we just thank the people that have served? Just wonderful, wonderful. I also wanted to give an update. You know, we have our annual vote and everything is a yes. All the elders, uh, yes. The budget, yes. The vision, yes. What God's doing, yes. And we are thankful for that as well. Wanted to give that update. Today we are in Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4, which is the last book in the Old Testament. If you get to Matthew, you've gone a little too far. And the theme here is God working on hard hearts. God is changing our hard hearts. We have a God who changes hard hearts. And we're so thankful for that. He's the only one that truly can. Uh, let's pray together as we seek the Lord. Father God, thank you for our church family. Lord, thank you how we're growing in love and in relationships. And it's because of your goodness, because of your grace, because of your patience, because of your mercy, because of your understanding, God. And we give you the glory. Thank you for every life that's been changed in this building this week and also far beyond the walls of this church. And God, we pray that as we dive into your word, we would be listening close to you, to your words and to your heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. When you open up a Bible, and we really hope you have your own copy of God's Word, there are 66 books, and it is one book. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. There are 27 books in the New Testament. And when we arrive at Malachi chapter 4, we're looking at the last words of the Old Testament. Anytime you hear last words for somebody or Scripture or Jesus before he ascended, pay attention to last words. In this final chapter, then... Even though you could turn and Matthew's right there, chronologically, when you finish this chapter, there's actually 400 years before you reach the Gospel of Matthew. And it's a time of silence. It's a time where God is moving and God is present because he always is. But it was a unique time, and it was a time of waiting and anticipation. And these are the last words before we get to the New Testament. And we are in a series right now looking at the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And one thing you maybe have noticed in this series is that the minor prophets, they speak with a lot of boldness. They speak with a lot of freedom. And you kind of think to yourself, how do they speak with such boldness and freedom? And I want to tell you, it's the Holy Spirit working in our life. God gives us boldness too. And also, they're not fearing people. How set free have you been from fearing people? 
Who's watching? What do they think? What's their opinion? What's their assumption? What's going to happen if? What do they think of me? Are they not going to like me? All those gymnastics we play in our mind, God can just set us free. And we got our eyes on Jesus. We worship him. We talk about him. We glorify God. We serve God. We love people. Just set free from all the opinions and the traps and even the political correctness. And we pick up on that in the prophets. And through them, God brings a direct word. He brings a clear word. It's truth in love. And it's a word we need. Why do we need this? Because God wants to give us a new love. God wants to give us a greater love. And to get there, we need God to go deep into our lives. And God goes deep through the prophets. Our God is able to take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. God transforms hearts. And there's only six verses in this chapter. It's almost like we're getting ready here for the silence that's coming in between Old Testament and New Testament. In these six verses, though, God speaks about the condition of our hearts, the offer of healing, and the greatness of Jesus. I want to say that again in just six verses. The condition of our hearts, the offer of healing, and the greatness of Jesus. We're going to focus on three questions tonight, three vital questions in our relationship and walk with God. Here's the first question. What is a hard heart? What is a hard heart? And I want to tell you this, that hard hearts can be obvious and hard hearts can be subtle. The obvious hard hearts, well, you see sin. And these are the kind of actions and words that people talk about and sometimes gossip about and judge other people. But there's obvious sin and you see it in the land. That's a hard heart. A hard heart ultimately is rebelling against God. There's a hard heart that's obvious in the rebellion against God. It's very explicit. And then there's a subtle rebellion against God. And this hard heart that's subtle is more implicit. You might think of the Pharisees, the Sadducees in the Bible, the religious leaders. A subtle hard heart is often very religious, encoded on the outside with a lot of religion. Both are versions of a hard heart. God is going to speak directly to hard hearts. Let's take a look at Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. Surely the day is coming... It'll burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for who, those who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Uh, only God combines like this vision of healing and this vision of judgment and brings them both together in this passage. Again, God points out the obvious sins. Sins that we can see arrogance, selfishness, bad decisions. And those are the symptoms, but what's at the core? A hard heart that pushes away God and his word and rejection and rebellion with our creator. When you think about different examples in the Bible of obvious sin, you might think about the thief on the cross who was dying next to Jesus. And Jesus brought mercy to that sinner with an obvious rebellious heart his whole life. God showed mercy. Sometimes God brings mercy 
to uh, someone who's had a life full of sin, but then turns to him and receives mercy. But I'll tell you, God also brings justice to those who have a hard heart and are not going to turn. They're not going to be kind. We see this throughout the Bible. Pharaoh had a hard heart. He hardened his heart. And what happened? God eventually said, no, you're not going to keep killing people. And he was swallowed up in the Red Sea. The Assyrians had a hard heart and the angel was sent and the angel took out the Assyrians. These are examples of a hard heart. The Philistines had a hard heart. They wanted to kill more people and this is what God did. He threw them into confusion and panic and they turned on each other and wiped each other out. In the Bible, we see if anyone wants God's mercy, who has a hard heart, God is merciful to everyone. But also if those want to keep opposing God and hurting other people, God steps in and brings justice. And God knows how to respond to a hard heart. That's why the prophet says the day is coming. And he'll say it a couple times. The day is coming. Throughout this book many times. When you hear the day is coming, you need to think of two things. There's accountability and there's victory. It's a day of both accountability and victory. With the presence of the Lord, God brings both. This combination of accountability and victory, we see it in the New Testament John the Baptist, this forerunner that Malachi is talking about, in Matthew chapter 3, and starting in verse 11, John the Baptist explains, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me, that's Jesus, will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, Jesus will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Same metaphor, fire, and we have accountability and we also have victory. Fire in different contexts. In one context, it's a symbol of judgment, injustice, and accountability. And in the same two verses, fire is a symbol of health and life and passion and spiritual power. The same symbol of fire, accountability and victory. Now, let's talk about subtle, a hard heart that's subtle. Hard hearts that are subtle, sometimes you just pick up on the attitude. It's the mindset, the motives. You don't see it on the outside as much, but you can just smell when that stuff's off. It's like, I don't know where that smell's coming from, but it's foul. It is off. The attitude's off. The mindset, the motives are off. And ultimately, someone who has a hard heart that's subtle is not really that hungry for God. They have the form of religion, but they don't have the power. They're not listening to God. They're not worshiping God, and they don't have compassion towards other people. They're religious, but it's very subtle. They have a hard heart. All of us, all of us wrestle with a hard heart. We all need God's touch. We all need God's healing. Every day we can have a hard heart. God says this in Psalm 81 verse 10, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. God's saying, remember how much I've done for you? Now, where's your hunger for me? Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Where are the hungry people in here? He says, but my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts. It's another way of saying a hard heart. They've got a stubborn, hard heart. And I just gave them over to that to follow their own devices. God says, if my people would but listen to me, if Israel would follow my ways. 
Uh, God's heart and longing is that we would listen and abide and be close to him. But the people were stubborn with hard hearts. They were religious on the outside, but stubborn. One man who changed in the Bible was David. He had all kinds of obvious sins, but he changed. And this is his prayer. God, search my heart. Psalm 139, search my heart. Could we do that tonight together? Could we say that to God? Could we come to God with that prayer? God, search my heart. Not the person who's sitting next to me or behind me or in front of me or who cut me off on my way to church, but God, search my heart. Not my coworker, not my parent. God, search my heart tonight. See if there's any way in me that's not right, God, and lead me in your way. David was called a man after God's own heart. And you looked at the list of his sins and you're like, that's the last person I think that should have that phrase next to their name. He's a man after God's own heart because it wasn't about how much he sins. His sin doesn't identify him. Your sin is not your identity. But God, search my heart. Clean my heart. God, change my heart. You know, people with a subtle hard heart often don't even know they've got a hard heart. It's a blind spot. People who are religious with a subtle blind spot, they have a, a blind spot there. They don't even think they got a hard heart. They're just walking around like, yeah, I don't really wrestle with a hard heart. I know a lot of people who do, but I don't. And I want us to step out of that. Uh, hard hearts ultimately are what block us from loving God and loving people fully. If you're not loving God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, and you're not loving everyone around you fully, I got to tell you, you got a hard heart. You got a hard heart. And every day, a hard heart wants to block me, and I wrestle with it every day from loving God with all my heart and loving people with all my heart. Because your calling is to love God and love people. You don't have a higher calling. The only way we're going to do that is if we receive God's love. But you don't have a higher calling. There's no greater goal for your life today than to love God and love every person he brings into your path. And when we're not doing that, it's because we have a hard heart. We're blocking the Holy Spirit in different ways. And God's making this evident to the people. I don't think everyone wants to hear that. Sometimes I don't want to hear that. But God talks about in these six verses two things. Your daily relationships and also your eternal destination. And he starts with the eternal destination. And then he moves into the daily relationships. And eternal destination isn't something we often talk about, but God, he goes right there and he's bold. And think about big picture, long term, eternity. You are an eternal being. You have an eternal soul. Your body that you have right now is not going with you, but you are going into eternity and you are going to come into an eternity and you're going to end up in one of two places. You're either going to be with Jesus or you're not going to want Jesus and you're not going to want to be with Jesus. And everyone's deciding eternally, are they going to spend eternity with Jesus or do they do not want to be in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? And God's laying out here, there's two options, there's two places. Now, I want to stop and point out, because there's a lot of possible pushback right there. When you read realities in the Bible, you might not like everything by the first read. And there's stuff in the Bible that when we first see it, we think, oh, I don't think it should be that way. I don't want it that way. Why does God have it that way? And God knows our thoughts. And this is one of those. We live in a world where a lot of times we idolize control. And we think that we can call the shots 
on everything. And when we read about eternity, it's humbling because we realize we didn't set that up. We can't change how God set that up, and we can't control it. But there's, um, there's just no purgatory. There's nothing in the middle. <laughs> the Bible's so clear. I wrote down some other things that just to help us have perspective that none of us can control. Did anyone here choose the day they were born? Don't think so. What about eye color? Did you choose that? Fingerprints? You didn't choose it. Did you choose your parents? I don't think you did. That's a, that's a big part of life, but I don't think you chose your parents. Did you choose that humans as a maximum are going to live about 120 years? Did any of us choose that? We didn't choose that reality. What about the sun, moon, and stars? Did any of us put those in place, just kind of decorate the universe? No chance. Did any of us set the earth in orbit, in perfect orbit? None of us. When you think about heaven, did any of us decide it'll be by grace and not works? None of us decided that. Over half of America thinks it's by works, but over half of America doesn't have the final say. It's by grace alone through faith alone. It's not by works. It's not by religious works. We don't get to decide that. Did anyone here decide? Was there a committee that said Jesus will die on a cross, then he'll be risen, and then he'll appear to people and he'll ascend into heaven? None of us were even on the earth then. We didn't decide that God would send his son to die for us in perfect love and sacrifice. God has set so many things up. Our response is to see who God really is, look at the evidence, what he's revealed, and then our response is worship. And worship is to trust him and to live for him. It is to have honest conversations and wrestle with that. But worship ultimately, when I see there's two realities that I can't change for eternity, that some are going to be with God and some are going to reject God and I see that reality I can for a little while talk with God about that but something's got to change in my spirit and I say okay if that's true and that is true then there is a fire in my belly to make all the difference I can to make sure that heaven is going to be as full as it is because nothing's more important than that So the prophets, instead of tiptoeing like, we don't know what's going to happen in eternity. We don't know if there's two places. We don't know if we should bring that up. We don't know if we have a role. Let's just stay quiet. Let's just sit in the pew and stay quiet and nice. That's not it. That's not how Jesus lived. It's not how the prophets lived. There's a fire and a passion that comes out of the reality of who God is and eternal realities that can't keep us quiet. How do you stay quiet on that one? How do you stay quiet on that one when you look around at people you love? And so God is moving, and, and we see here that, that he's healing too. I want to say this. Every hard heart, and that's all of us, need healing. Every hard heart needs healing. And that's why God says three images, the son of righteousness. God brings his light into the darkness. The son, the son of righteousness. And then we read, risen with healing. Healing in the wings. I think of the resurrection and overcoming. 
And then also leaping around like an animal released from the stall. We don't have any cows at my house, but we've got a dog that when you open that door, gets really excited and just, you know, bolts out of the house, does a few spins, runs around, you know, flying around. Woo, I'm out of the house. I'm out of the house. I'm running around. I'm running around. Not really much to do, but like jumping, running, excited. And when I read that there's healing from God, it's like there's excitement. There's running around. That's our Bella. That's the image I get in my mind. Bella, excited. There's freedom. There's healing in the Lord. There's love in the Lord. There's joy in the Lord for any hard heart that wants to open up and receive. And I don't know how you transition from Bella to Jonathan Edwards. There's no smooth segue there. But I do want to share a Jonathan Edwards quote. And this is about affections for God and for people. A truly Christian love, either to God or to other people, is a humble, brokenhearted love. The desires of the saints, however earnest, are humble desires. Their hope is a humble hope. And their joy, even when it is unspeakable and full of glory, it's still a humble, brokenhearted joy. And as grace increases, the field opens more and more to a distant view until the soul is swallowed up with the vastness of this grace. And the person is astonished to think how much it becomes him to love this God and this glorious Redeemer who has so loved mankind. And Jonathan Edwards is describing, as he's in the 18th century, the grace of God. Because the grace of God changes lives. It changes our hearts and we are humbled. And because of God's grace, there's a joy and a humility in there. And we're brokenhearted, he says, as some of the humility that comes. There should be a humble joy and authentic love that flows from the heart of anyone who sees the grace of God, experiences the grace and love of God. And God used Jonathan Edwards and he was bold about sin and he was bold about grace because we need to be bold about both. And there was a great awakening in our land. There's been a few great awakenings in the history, the short history of America. That was the first. And you say, well, what was happening at that time? And I want to tell you, this is what was happening. The churches were lifeless. And in the culture, they drifted from God and his word. Less and less people going to church, excited about God. The churches were kind of lifeless. And the people in the nation drifting from God and his word. That was the spiritual condition of the land. But God raised up a gospel movement. God raised up a people with a fire. And revivals started to flame that you couldn't put out. And as the churches came alive, the nation is returning to God. Don't miss that sequence. As the churches come alive, the nation returns to God. What we need today is for the church to come alive and lead the nation to God. We want to come alive. When I hear those stories, my prayer is, do it again, Lord. Do it again. We've seen it in our land several times. We know where we're at right now. God, do it again. Change the hard hearts in our land. God, change my hard heart. Set us on fire, God. It leads to the second question. What makes hard hearts change? What does make a hard heart change? Take a look at verse four. Remember the law 
of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. God has so many ways of changing a hard heart, and God is committed to pursue you and to pursue me every day. And he wants to change our hearts. Now, he's going to say, look back, and then he's going to say, look forward. The first one is look back. He says, Moses, look back to Moses. Think of the Ten Commandments. What is the law, the Ten Commandments? What does that give us? It gives us a picture of how we are to live as we walk with God. The Ten Commandments are how Jesus lived. He was pure. He honored the Father. The Ten Commandments show us that. But also the Ten Commandments bring some tension. And they did right from the start, because it was idolatry from the start. The Ten Commandments bring the tension that all of us fall short of God's glory, and we break the commandments every day, and we need the Savior. The Ten Commandments both give us a picture of Jesus, and they also show us our need for Jesus, because we can't on our own strength. And so the Ten Commandments would lead us to abide with the Lord. This is the heart of Moses. He said this at the end of his life. I mean, again, last words. When someone has their last words, you listen, and Moses is pouring out his heart, and he's speaking to the people. He's not going to go into the promised land. He says, this day I call heaven and earth. This is Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, that's our series, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. The Lord is your life. Hold fast to him. Here's the difference it makes. When you hear the Ten Commandments or you hear God's word, do you really believe it? Do you believe that our God protects and provides? Do you believe that God has your best interest in mind? Because when I hear God's word, if I just hear, oh, he wants me to do that, well, that's just behavioral instruction. And if I don't know his heart and trust his heart and I don't know God, then it's just, oh, God wants me to do this. But if I'm abiding and I know God's heart, then I can trust it and I believe that this is actually best for me. And then I'm going to own it. But I still am going to rely on the Holy Spirit at every turn. But how do we respond? How do we respond to God's word? Looking back, the Ten Commandments. And I want to add this comment because I hear this a lot in, in church sometimes. Like, I just don't like repetition. Some people say, I just don't like repetition. And I'm thinking to myself, why does God in the Bible repeat, 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 repeat? Like he just keeps coming with it like there's an echo. And I think it's interesting, going back to 1890, I read this in advertising. There was an understanding in 1890 that someone needs to see an ad 20 times before they're going to make a purchase. And then also today we've got the rule of seven where it said that someone needs to hear something seven times before they take action. And I think it's interesting that sometimes we're like, I hear a concept in the Bible, I get the concept, I never need to hear it again. I got the concept, I understood it. Uh, but God keeps repeating it. Why? Because we need to remember. We need to remember. We need clarity. And this is what I think happens in repetition. Sometimes in our songs, there's repetition. And it's not just that intellectually I understand that verse or intellectually I understand that song, but we want the word of God to dwell in us richly. 
And what happens is when you start to memorize the word, meditate on the word, say it out loud, hear it again, have the teaching there, read it here, conversation here, it starts to sink in from just the mind to the heart to the soul. The word of God dwells in us. We need it repeated. I read through the Bible every year because I feel like that's what God wants me to do. It's not legalistic. It's just that's where I go each day. And I've been doing this for like 20 years. And it's like I'm always learning new things. I'm always hearing things again. There's just God's voice he repeats. And so don't ever just drift off and say, I know that, I've heard that, I'm good there. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. That's looking back. That's his exhortation. That's how God's changing hearts. But then also look forward. John the Baptist is coming to prepare a way, to prepare the presence of the Lord. And he also brings a message of repentance. You might think repentance sounds like a kind of a harsh word. I want to tell you, the Bible is very clear in Romans 2, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Because God is so kind, we drop our sin. Because God is so patient, we change. Because God is so loving, we see there's something better than rebellion. And because he's so kind, we repent and we turn to him. And I think as people watched John the Baptist, there was inspiration. We need both. We need instruction and we need inspiration. Right? In our lives, we need both. We need to taught and caught. And I think when they saw John the Baptist, they saw someone who is authentic, who is going all out. It was an unusual style. When you see someone going all out for Jesus, it might look different than you. And just let them have that freedom. And then you do it your style. And John the Baptist was faithful in his style. You do it your style. And I think the people were inspired. We need inspiration. We need pictures of people who are going for it. Uh, This week at camp was inspiring. It was amazing. Uh, About 250 kids. I saw so many people in our church going all out for the kids. I mean, people that maybe stepped out of their jobs, sacrifices, just loving the kids so well. And I want to share one example of something very inspiring. There was someone who said in our church, I want to do something for the kids before this week is over. I want to do something for the kids. And talked to Pastor Mark, and that person uh, purchased devotions for every child, a nice book, a devotional book for every child to take home to their family. And I want to tell you that this person is closer to 100 than 80. And when I think about us as a multi-generational church, that someone closer to 100 years old than 80 would have such a love for the kids coming to church that they would say, I want the kids to go home with God's word. And when I hear that, that inspires me because someone in their 90s is thinking about the youngest people in our church and going all out for the kids. When you're around someone going all out for Jesus, it inspires It inspires. When I think about the history of our church, I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, we have a family going back to the 1950s. There were five missionaries who were killed in Ecuador. Jim Elliott is the one who's the most well-known, but uh, Ed McCulley was one of those five, and Ed's family is still here in our church. In fact, what God did in Ecuador is truly a miracle. And I think of Elizabeth Elliot, and this is what she said regarding her husband. She said, the fact that Jim loved and died for the Akas intensifies my love for him, for them. The fact that my husband loves the Akas so much, my love is growing for the people in Ecuador. 
And when you're around someone that really loves people, really loves people, that love that they have, God uses it to start to grow a love in your heart for people and it increases and it's more than what you started with. And I got to tell you, even though those five were killed, so many Akas came to know Jesus. We had some of the Akas come here to our church. Amazing testimony, amazing testimony. And it's how God can move in any heart, any person, any nation. And, and I want to ask you, how is God changing your heart heart? How is he chiseling away at the pride and the stubbornness in your own heart these days? And I want to challenge you, would you intentionally choose and be around some people who are going for it? like John the Baptist, like this man I described in his 90s, would you gather around with some other people instead of being so isolated, instead of, you know, love everybody, but would you gather around? I picture a bonfire where there's embers. Would you gather around with some other people who have, God is changing their hearts. There's a passion. There's a love for God. There's a love for people. It's contagious and you get around them like John the Baptist. You say, I want to repent. I want to get baptized. I want to live for God. I want to be bold. I want to go for this in our generation. Would you find some people like that and just love each other, do life together, lock arms. That's what happens in our life groups, but it can happen far beyond our life groups. And, and it, it goes to this third question. What are the new affections that God is bringing into your life. What new affections are from God? Let's take a look at the last verse of the Old Testament. What does God say in the last verse of the Old Testament? He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now remember, we started with the eternal destinations now God ends the chapter with daily relationships. Daily relationships. And I want to show a picture. I mentioned that I went to the East Coast and I mentioned my sister and she got married. Uh, this was both families coming together. And we stayed, all of us. So uh, you see me on the left. That's not, we don't have a baby we didn't tell you about. That's my sister's new baby right there. Uh, just for clarity, just being helpful. Love little Nico. Had a great time with Nico. But you see from the bride to that side, that's our family. And then from the groom to that side, there's the other family. And Gillenwater's over there. Uh, I didn't know the people on the right. But what happened is we spent four days together in one house. And we went from not really knowing all the names, who's who, to, okay, we got the names. Now let's get to know each other a little better. Now what's the story? What's the journey? And I'm not saying like in four days, you know, we know everything about each other. But we left knowing each other, loving each other. And God did a work in the hearts where these relationships are continuing and they're growing and it's sweet. And you might think, oh, well, sure, there's a story. Four days, two families, wedding, everyone's dressed up. It's kind of like the Facebook version. You're like, everything's perfect. I get it, Pastor. No, it was, it was crazy. Uh, I'll give you one example of crazy, and it's this bug right here. Cicadas. That bug right there, those were everywhere, landing on us constantly. You say, well, what kind of noise does that make? How many were there? I'm going to give you six seconds of cicadas because I'm not sure you can take 10 seconds. So I'm going to give you six seconds and let's just listen and look at the cicadas. See them flying? 
They're just they're everywhere. Can we, t- we got to turn that up. Can we do that one more time and turn that up just a little bit? Because when I, when I was walking around, it was not that quiet. It's not that quiet. Let's just turn that up and let's watch that one more time if we could. Can we play that one more time with a little bit more volume here? That was a big ask. I'm telling you, that was still far quieter than when I was under that tree. But I appreciate it. I love our team. Can we give it up for the tech team? Oh, they do a tremendous job. Sarah, Austin, Joel, Emma, I mean the whole tech team, tremendous. It was piercing loud and they land on you constantly. Why would I say that? This is why I say it, it was a both and. There were relationships and there was cicadas. And in your family, there's relationships and there's cicadas. And the question is, what are you going to do with the cicadas? And we had to make a choice. Would we still have an outdoor wedding with all the cicadas? I got to tell you, they did make noise. They did land on us. But we were going to have that wedding. And we had the wedding outdoors in the middle of all the cicadas. And I don't know what cicadas you've got at your house. I don't know what noises are there. I don't know what the arguing sounds like. I don't know what the resentment sounds like. I don't know what the disagreements sound like in your house. I don't know what it would sound like if we played it on the speakers right now. We've all got cicadas, but God changes our hearts and we value relationships to such a degree that we don't give the cicadas too much room or power or the final say. And in every family, there's lots of cicadas. But there is a love that's greater than cicadas. You say, well, why do we need this? Why does God in the Old Testament, and like the parents' hearts and the kids' hearts and bringing the hearts together? Why? Because in the Bible we see that sometimes parents get harsh. Sometimes parents get controlling. Sometimes parents neglect kids. Sometimes parents are distant from kids. Sometimes parents enable kids. And sometimes in the Bible we read that kids are ungrateful, that kids disrespect parents. Kids get entitled. Kids have resentment. And it's so easy to take family for granted. I pulled my hamstring about six weeks ago. And uh, I've not played soccer since, but this week I was able to do a light jog for the first time in six weeks. And I got to tell you that before I pulled that hamstring, my attitude around running was uh, I'm not really a big fan. It's not my thing. Don't really like running. After not running for six weeks... Being able to just take a light jog and move and feel a little breeze on me, I'm just like, running feels so good. Oh, running is great. I am so glad I can run. What just happened in six weeks, I went from taking running for granted to savoring and cherishing the ability to run. You know what can happen when you're around family a lot? You can start to take your spouse for granted. You can take your parents for granted. You can take your siblings for granted. You can take your kids for granted. And sometimes it's going to be the love of God that wakes us up and we say, I don't know how I was taking this for granted. You are such a gift. You are made in God's image. I'm so glad you're in my life. I love you so much. And you say that and you act on that. And the hearts of the parents and the hearts of the kids come back together. You know what we have in our land? We have a need in our land for the hearts of the parents and the hearts of the kids to come back 
together. And God sees this and he knows this. You know, sometimes we use this phrase with kids. We say the kids are the future of the church. And we throw that out. And in one sense it's true because the kids will probably be alive longer than some of us who don't have hair and are older, right? So the kids will probably be alive longer. And so in one sense you can say they're the future of the church. But there's another sense where I disagree. And I don't think the kids are like, oh, in the future. I think the kids right now, right now in the church are vibrant. And the Bible says set an example for the other believers. I believe right now is the time for the kids. What the kids experienced and how they were living and loving each other and worshiping in here this week, I was thinking, wow, if our church, the adults, love each other and praise God like the kids, we're going to have revival the kids aren't just the future of the church. They're living it right now. And I got to tell you what else with COVID. A lot of times we say, well, it's a church building, a church building. You know what's the future of the church? Following Jesus at home. At home. What COVID has revealed is what a great need we have to walk with Jesus at home home. If you are single, you're married, you have extended family, you have lots of kids, no kids. I'm talking about the culture at home. When the culture at home, there's Jesus in the home. There's still cicadas, but Jesus is winning in the home. Amen. It's going to overflow to the church. We spend so much more time at home than we do here. And we need to bring both of those together. It starts with family. God turns our hearts, changes our hearts, but then it goes beyond family. Could we start to see people like Jesus sees people? You know, Peter didn't want to do that. And, and God was saying, love Gentiles, love Gentiles, love Gentiles. And Peter's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And eventually he loved Gentiles. And he said, who am I to oppose God? You know what a hard heart does? Opposes God. And you know what a hard heart does? It refuses to love people like God loves people. So for Peter, it was the Gentiles. And that was his hesitation, stumbling block, pushback. But God broke through. Then Peter told the rest of the church, we got to love the Gentiles. God loves the Gentiles. Let's love the Gentiles. Jesus, as he loved people, was controversial. The disciple says, don't love the children. Jesus says, let the children come to me. We need to love the children. Jesus loved the Samaritans. He loved people from every nation and culture. Some didn't want to do that. Jesus does. Jesus loved the sinners. Jesus loved the woman who is caught in adultery. Do we love the woman that's caught in adultery? Jesus loved those who were crooked and lacked integrity. Zacchaeus was up in the tree. Everyone else despised him because he mistreated and took advantage of people. Jesus loved him and went to his house. Do we love the people who are crooked, who are far away from God, who are selfish? Do we love those people? Do we love the religious like Nicodemus, who was interested in Jesus, but also was going to be persecuted? So he's just quietly checking out Jesus because the rest of his family would be upset if he was. Do we love those people? Do we meet those people at night? Do we answer their questions? Do we walk close with them? Do we love people like Jesus? This is a changed heart. God wants to move our hearts and then he will move us. You know, I think back to Brad and Holly. I'll never forget when Brad came to me and said, uh, the doctors are saying, I only have a couple weeks left. Unless there's a miracle, the doctors found a cancer and it's in a stage where they said, I'm not going to be around long at all. And Brad died shortly after that. 
But you know what happened when the church found out? The church was praying for him with his cancer. God didn't bring a miracle. When one of our kids heard about Brad, he ran back to the house. He grabbed all his money and he brought it to Brad. And he just said, this is for you. You're going to need it. So that's love. We didn't say to do that. He just heard that Brad has a cancer and might not be alive much longer. And he just ran and got all his money and brought it to Brad and said, this is for you. And Brad took it and said, this means so much to me. Now, Brad's not here anymore, but his wife Holly is. And this is what happens when we see things that are shaped like a heart. We just send these pictures to Holly. So uh, you might think it's ridiculous, but I'm telling you, when we open up a loaf of bread and we see one of those air pockets that looks like a heart, we take the picture and we send it to Holly. She's Brad's widow because we just want to say we love you and we're thinking about you. When we see a leaf drop to the ground and it's heart-shaped, we just take a picture and we send it to Holly. Now, I only brought two pictures. I'm not going to go for rocks and, you know, all the, but when we see that, because there's a love there. God wants to break our hearts to love people around us. Are you resisting that? Are you more content in maybe a comfortable world where your heart doesn't have to go out there and you can play it safe? Are you content with that? Or do you sense God calling you to love people with the love of Jesus? A new freedom to do that. Uh, when I think of what's effective in ministry, a lot of times there's an emphasis on, well, how much did it cost? What's the budget? What were the numbers? How many people showed up? How well was it organized? Those things are worthy of consideration. But there's this word in the Bible, compassion. In the Greek, we're going to say this together, splagnitsomai. I want to say that together. You up for some Greek? Let's say it in the cone of three. Splagnitsomai. One more time. Splagnitsomai. You hear that? You're like, that's a deep word. Compassion is not just a little feeling that comes or goes. Splagnitsomai is from the depths of the being, the deepest seat where your passion lies. Splagnitsomai, that's a compassion, the compassion of Jesus that just wells up and comes out into relationships. That's compassion that Jesus saw people with. And I'm going to close with this one because this one caught my heart. Uh, this last week with the camp, 30% of the kids here, no church experience, right? Not coming um, here with, let's say, homes where God's loved, just coming into church. So a <laughs> couple questions. Uh, one question that came up is, can we come back? If you come for camp and you've never been to church, you just wonder if you're a kid, can we come back? And then here's another question. Do you have church on Fridays? <laughs> well, no, we don't. But if you don't know, if you don't know, you just don't know. And you say, well, do we have church on Fridays? Here's another one. Um, do we pay money? Do we have to pay to get into church like on the weekends? Do you have to pay money? No, <laughs> you just come. You just come. Well, how am I going to get there if my parents don't come? What do you say? What do you say? How am I going to come? Because at the, during the week, I'm with the parent who lives close to Grace, but on the weekends, I go away to my other parent. So how can I come if I'm far away with my other parent? 
And I think that 30% represents a lot of kids around Auburn. And I think, will we go to the kids? Will we invite and love the kids? Will we break up? Would God change our hearts so that we would change our habits and patterns so that relationships would be changed, so that the city would be changed? Well, that gets right back to the crux of it, doesn't it? The whole hard heart thing. If we don't love God with all our heart and we don't love the people around us with all of our heart, we've got a hard heart. But we've got a God who changes hard hearts. And that's who we praise. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you see hearts. You see our thoughts, our motives, our attitudes, our stubbornness. You see the crustiness, the layers. You see the calloused hearts. You see the secret sins in our hearts. God, you see it all and you love us. You pursue us. You don't give up on us. And God, you call us. And God, you're calling us to something new. Just like at the Old Testament, God, the end of it, you're calling the people to something new. And you're saying, God, who has their mouths open so that I could fill it? Who has their hearts teachable so that I could guide your hearts? Who wants the Holy Spirit? Who wants the Savior? Who wants to make a difference right now? Who wants that? Who's hungry for that? And God, our response to you is that we're going to rely on you and abide. And our response to you is yes. We say yes during communion. We say yes during the word. We say yes during worship. And we say yes in our homes. Father, we, we turn to you. We turn to you. Change our hearts. Change our church. Change our families. Do a new work. Do a new work right now, God. Do a new deep work right now. Give us a fresh vision, not only for our biological families, God, but looking around in what you want to do, God, in our community. Give us a fresh vision for those who would turn to you, become part of your family, God, not just our biological family, God, but your family. Give us a fresh vision. Change our hearts as we seek you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. This is a song to sing scripture, to let God move in our hearts. Let's stand up right now as, as we receive God's fresh work in our hearts. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.